Good morning, grace and peace are yours from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're to walk through the doors of a zoo and you head right to the gorilla enclosure or to the lion's den, the first sign you are probably going to see is one that says something like this, warning, do not feed the animals or do not touch the glass. Maybe you've heard the saying, for every sign there is a story. The zookeepers know full well what will happen if you or the kids start pounding on the glass or if you start throwing breadcrumbs at some of the animals around. They're going to go nuts and everyone's going to have a bad time. They know that these are real beings, these are real animals, and there are very real consequences to what happens if you don't respect their boundaries. Do we think this way about the devil? There was a group, there's two groups out there, it's Pew Research and Barna, and they're, they're groups that try and do some polling on Christians and get the pulse of what people believe in. So they found, they asked the same question, what do people believe about the devil? So here are some of the stats that the Barna group found. This is from 2009. It says that less than 40%, a study of American Christians found that less than 40% of Christians believe that the devil is a real being, not merely a symbol of evil. So that was a study based on American Christians. The Gallup group did a study about, I think, seven months ago, July of 2023, and they just polled Americans. And this is what they found. They found, a study of Americans found that nearly three in 10 people, 28%, do not believe in hell or the devil flat out. Now, what they also found out is that 58% of people do believe in hell or the devil, but that is the lowest percentage in the last two decades. Peter, in our letter for today, knows that the devil is very real and that these temptations are very real, despite what the public opinion polls say. But what Peter does is he doesn't, resi- he doesn't urge us to just stand behind glass and try and battle ourselves and bullock ourselves against the devil. What he is going to urge us to do is fight back. Resist. Don't run while the devil is on the prowl. And you can only do this resisting and not running from the devil by standing firm in your faith. Now, it's amazing, isn't it, that Peter just has to tell us that this is a real problem for us. I, didn't ch- I, I checked on the way out of chapel. There's no signs on the way out of chapel that say, resist evil, watch out for the devil. There's nothing like that on the doors. But maybe there is something to be said. There is a difference between seeing a sign and hearing about something and then actually having it happen in real life. This past July, while I was vicaring in New York City, I had the opportunity to bring some of our kids out camping in the Appalachian Mountains in Northern Virginia, which is fun because a lot of those kids had never stepped foot outside of New York City, so just being in like the wild and nature was fascinating for them to see how they reacted and everything. But everyone was warning me, like, Be with them on the trails. You don't know if there's black bears. You don't know if there's going to be mountain lions or anything like that. And I said, okay, that's fine. But they're scared of us. They're not going to want to see us. So we set up our camp, went through the night, went to the pavilion to get breakfast. And then as we were gone for those 20 minutes, someone came up to me and said, you know, Ben, I just saw a black bear walking through your campground. So make sure everything is locked and secured. I had never thought of the real consequences of bringing these kids out here from New York City that they might actually see a black bear and walking literally steps away from their tent. I I wasn't sure what to do. 
Peter tells us that this enemy that we have of the devil is very real, and he even makes it personal. He says it is your enemy. He says it is your adversary. Martin Luther, when he was thinking about being tempted by the devil, he said this, that the prince of darkness himself has taken up combat against me. Luther took it personally. And I'm suggesting that you should take it personally too. Because this is a one-on-one -on -one battle that everyone fights in their own unique ways that's taking place all across the capital, all across the cities of this country, and all across the world. Try, so what Satan is trying to do is to wedge you of your assurance of the salvation that you have in Christ Jesus. And Satan isn't being very quiet about it either. What does Peter describe him as? He describes him as a roaring lion, prowling in search. Do you know why lions roar? Primarily, it's for three reasons. One is pretty obvious. It's to scare away intruders. When you hear something loud like that, it gets people away from you. Another one is to warn the other lions in his pride that he's around and he's near. It's a communication thing for them. The third one is to display dominance, that I'm here, I'm real, I'm loud, and I will do something if you get too close. And what's interesting about lions is they know exactly when the best time is to roar throughout the day. So that's at dusk and at dawn. But a lion doesn't roar and blast right in front of his prey. If you've ever watched a video of a lion attacking its prey, you know that it's pretty calculated. He stalked that prey for a while, and he doesn't just go full bore at him. He stalks him, carefully calculates, tries to find the weakest point that he can get to this animal. And if you've ever watched a video of a lion actually getting to its prey, it's pretty vicious. It's pretty violent. It's pretty graphic. They try and take everything they can out of this prey because they know that they don't know where their meal, next meal is coming. And if they don't get this animal, they don't know if they're going to make it to the next day. And they try and suck the life out of this victim. They take everything they can out of them. If the devil is like a roaring lion and he is so, for, so against us, our adversary, why do we have such a tough time acknowledging that he's real or even hearing him in the world. I'm going to suggest that it might be because we have become numbed to the temptation and the evil around us. There was an author, his name is Andrew Del Banco, and he was thinking about this too. So he, he wrote a book about it. It is called The Death of Satan, How Americans Have Lost the Sense of Evil. And he surmised in this book that the loss of the devil has contributed to the failure of modern Americans to recognize and deal with evil. His suggestion is that our lack of a theology of evil and the lack of a theology of the devil in the world has hurt our ability to deal with grief, with pain, and with death. You remember at the beginning of the sermon those four in ten Christians who didn't think that the devil was real? Their ability to deal with tragedy, with grief, with horrors, the different things that we see going on in the world has been numbed, and our ability to wrestle with it has also been hurt. So instead of seeing all the horrors and all the tragedies that we see in the world, instead of feeling emotional pain, we're just numbed and dulled 
to it. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, and in it he talks about a de- uh, like an elder devil talking to a younger devil and the workings and the ways of how the devils try and tempt and take on people in the world. And this devil t- named Screwtape, he counsels his nephew Wormwood who's out there and the ways and the workings of how the devils work in the world. And what Screwtape tells Wormwood to do is that, Wormwood, you just have to distract the patient, which is a Christian. You just have to distract him and you just have to confuse him either put some conflicts in his world or create some sort of anxiety or exploit the low points in this person. Make them think that they are something that they aren't or make, make them think that they aren't worthy of things they should be. What Wormwood, tells him to do, what Wormwood is counseled to do is not just go for a right hook that will knock them out for good. What he's supposed to do is that it's supposed to be just a steady regimen of kicks to the ribs hopefully that will numb them and dull them down and turn this patient, the Christian, from his God. The devil's primary strategy is to drive the soul of our society into ruin with deceptive ideas. And what he does is it's his best to act is he minimizes sin and then he maximizes guilt. He minimizes the effects and the consequences of what sin is, so then you think it's good. And then once you get into it, that's when he brings on the guilt. He pours it all on. If you give the devil a chance to be tempted and influenced by these temptations, you only put yourself in the lion's den, and it's only a matter of time before you're devoured. So when are the perfect conditions for you to hear the devil's roar? Is it during the week, Monday through Friday, or is it Saturday and Sunday? Is it right before you go to work, or is it after you've had a tough day at work? Is it with your friends, or is it with your family? Is it after a long week of work and you just say, well, man, I just need to blow off some steam. I just need to let loose. I need to get all these cruddy thoughts that are going on in my mind. What are the perfect conditions for you to hear the devil's roar? Do you know how to survive a lion attack? I do not either. So I want to show you guys, just in case for some reason in this capital, there is a lion that gets loose. Here are the steps that you're supposed to take to survive a lion attack. What you're supposed to do is not to panic and not to flee. Don't get, don't get weirded out by it or anything like that. Be scared if you can, but don't panic, don't flee. Then what you're supposed to do is just step back slowly. Don't rush, don't run away because you're going to get got and then it's going to be bad after that. Step back slowly. And if the lion starts to charge, remain standing. Get big, make some noise, yell to drive it off. Get big, try and seem bigger than you actually are, so then maybe he'll be scared and not go after you. And if all these other four things fail, fight back. Peter says the same to his Christians too. He tells his church to fight back because that's the life of faith. Faith is battle. They, we are in, they call it spiritual warfare for a reason. The devil is constantly trying to batter and create chinks in the armor of God that's been placed 
on you so we can drive that wedge away from the assurance of salvation that you have in your Savior, Christ Jesus. But our battle has been won by what Christ did for us on the cross. And this devil, this lion, who can roar and be loud and, and, ba and not bashful, he can roar. But the devil's roar is only something that can accuse, but it's not something that can actually condemn. Because your salvation has been secured by Jesus. So the devil can taunt, the devil can roar. He can say, how did you get into this situation again? How did you find yourself in this sin again? How is, someone gonna how is God going to love you after you've done this sin again and again and again and again and you've tried a hundred times to get out of it? How is God going to love you? How's your family going to look at you? How are your friends going to look at you if they know this sin that happens? The devil can accuse Christ has won salvation and forgiveness of sins for you. There's no room to run in this fight. We have to fight. And fight we will. But we don't have to do it alone. We can fight because we have the scriptures that we have known from our infancy. We can fight knowing the words that we have learned in Bible study the words that we've heard every Sunday and every Wednesday when we come to this place to hear God's word, we can fight back with the words of Christ that we've known so well. We can fight back in our baptisms. When we were made sons and daughters of the king, marked for eternity by God as his chosen children, marked for sure as Christians so the devil knows especially who to go after, but marked with the forgiveness of sins in our baptism. We can fight back in the Lord's Supper when we confess with everyone who comes up before us that this is the body and blood of Christ and this is the forgiveness of sins. Fight back with these measures. The next time the devil attacks, these are the five things I want you to do. This is how to survive when the devil attacks. The first thing you do is you don't panic or flee. Because you have been prepared from the scriptures you've been taught since you were a baby boy and baby girl, and you are prepared for this. Cast all of your anxiety on him who hears you and listens to you and knows you by name. The next thing is you step back slowly. You can flee the temptation in front of you. And if you don't know how to identify it, ask a brother and sister in Christ who will be able to tell you, this is where sometimes you get tempted to do this. Help me out. See my faults. Help me become stronger in this faith. You can flee this temptation. And if the devil's charges again and brings up the accusations against you, remain standing. Stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in your baptism. Stand firm in the assurance of salvation that you have from Christ Jesus. Yell to drive it off. Say, I'm a baptized Christian. I am God's chosen child. I will gladly say that again and again and again. And if all else fails, fight back. Tell the devil to scram because he's lost. Jesus has won. He's defeated the devil because of that. 
you and I have eternal life with him. May God grant us the strength to go in this fight. Amen.